people ask, and we're going to come to it in a moment, exactly, so what is the abuse? Like, what is the abuse? While I'm going to, in a moment, describe the abuse, it won't, it won't describe the ruach of the abuse. Like, why is that abusive? It, what, the, what the literature does is only explain what is the act of abuse, and in fact, it's completely lacking the literature in anything relevant to our world. Almost all the literature I've read, there's a few research studies talking about religious communities and how the abuse differs in our community, and it profoundly differs. And I'm going to explain to you how. Unfortunately, I didn't write it down because you could write notes as you go if you wish. But the abuse, the assumption of abuse is where for the interest of one person, they will expose themselves to or expose the other or touch or engage in some sexual process with a child for the benefit of the one person and it's against the will of the second person. The second person does not want to do this. They're pushed into it. That's why I put in brackets or any person possesses or who the victim possesses having a, a power like a Rebbe, like a teacher, like a mentor, a therapist, anyone who has an inappropriate, so to speak, power position and somehow manipulates that person into this position, that's sexual abuse. That's the nature of it. And here's, I'm going to tell you one fundamental thought about abuse that's so not understood and it just like is marvel in a way. People think, I often hear when a case gets presented to me, ah, he just touched, he put his hand. They ask this question. They say, did they put the hand, let's take a boy where they put the hand on the boy's private parts. They'll say, did they put the hand like under his pants or was it in his pocket or was it over his pants? And some foolish, uneducated person thinks that means something. What I just said to you means nothing, yes. Trousers, sorry, trousers, trousers. So we're still the same thing, but you're right, thank you, great. Trousers. Did they put his hand on his trousers, over his trousers, or under his trousers? You know, with with Kilo, that it makes a difference. It doesn't. It doesn't. The act of abuse, for our purposes, we have to let go of a notion that the abuse is an act of violence. What we tend to think of, all of us, is we think of sexual abuse, the first thing we think of is something like a rape, you know, a knife point, or, you know, a gun against the will with some sort of violent forcing act. This is nonsense. Of course, that is abusive. I mean, that's that's abusive on the worst way, you know. But you have to understand, the abuse is because what you've done to a child is brought a poor little innocent child into a sugya where they're now in the sugya of sexuality. And they have no place to go with it, nothing to do with it. You've opened pathways in a child's neshama that they view themselves as a sexual being. That's what the abuse is. The abuse is in the sexual development, which is actually the personal development, the human development of the child has now been distorted and interrupted because this child was now introduced into the world of sexuality inappropriately. So the the development of the child is where the abuse plays itself out, not in the act. And foolishly, we always say, these questions, they say, well, how did he do it? What did he It's irrelevant. The only question is, is the abusee aware they've been taken into a sugya of sexuality? 
they've been approached sexually. They've been viewed as a sexual being. They're now aware they have sexuality. Has that occurred? If the answer is yes, then sexual abuse has occurred. This is so important because the, the misunderstanding every single time it comes out, I do an evaluation of a story, they're busy trying to explain or diminish it was only this, it wasn't that, as if it wasn't really abuse. And it's utterly foolish. It's the introduction to the sugya of sexuality to a poor little six-year-old that wrecks their lives developmentally. Do you know how many kids have said to me, it's heartbreaking, a 12-year-old little girl will say to me, you know, now that you know, I'm in this sugya, she says, what am I going to do with it? What am I meant to do? I want it. I feel like part of me wants this now. It was exciting. I'm appalled by it, she says, but I'm excited by it. What do I do with it? Why can't I get married? Boys will tell me the same thing after it's happened to them. The abuse is they're done, they're finished. And I'll take it even deeper for you so you understand how unbelievably profound and damaging it is and why they go off the derrick and why they're so angry with us and why they do the things they do to be in our face and to be angry. You take the average kid from nice, sweet boy or girl in our system, a 10-year-old kid. Let's take a 12-year-old kid, they're hitting puberty. It's not uncommon that an appropriate, healthy, gesund teacher, basically teacher, for example, for girls, is going to take every option possible to talk to the girls about sneers. Talk to them about why you should cover your body, why that's important. They'll take every opportunity, they should anyway, I mean that's how it's done. Aside from a class in Hilchas Nias, but every single class, you can teach geography, but if they'll mention, you know, the Africans, the way they dress, you know, and they, they'll say, but we, you know, and that, right, they take every possible opportunity to talk about Sneas in a healthy, goes underway, true or true? Boys, as they get older, certainly, will be, if they have a good Rebbe, the Rebbe will not give a class on Shemir Saguf. He won't give a whole shear on it with diagrams. No way. But what he will do is, or he should do, and he does do if he's a good Rebbe, he'll drop in. When, you know, as appropriate in this sugya or Yena sugya, he'll give a few divrei chizuk about Shemir Sinayim, about Shemir Saguf. Shavim will come, somewhere he'll mention something, depending on the age of the children, he'll mention Shavim. He'll mention the Kedushas Yisrael, and, and he can even get very excited about it. How Gavaldik, the Kedusha of Klal Yisrael is. And, and hopefully a teacher would do it in a healthy way, meaning to inspire the kids. Is this true or false? In the regular, our system, worldwide, it should be true. Try, if you can, for a moment, and it's painful, <coughs> to get into the shoes for a minute of a kid sitting in that class who's been sexually abused. And who's been sexually abused and has dual feelings. On the one hand, they're tormented to the core of their being, ashamed and embarrassed beyond anything you could ever understand. It's the most humiliating thing to be sexually abused. The powerlessness, the, the humi- the, it's humiliating, amazingly humiliating. The sense of loss of control makes them enraged. 
they're furious, beyond furious with themselves for letting it happen, as if I let it happen, and we'll see why later on as I describe how it happens, why they feel that way, but they're furious with themselves, and in almost every case, there's an excitement too about what happened to them. And the reason there's an excitement is not because they're sick kids, not at all. It's because it was exciting. Because when you have the typical profile of a sexual abuse victim, the typical profile is a kid, a still a kid, a quiet kid, not the most outgoing, successful, not sporty, not athletic, not exciting. Abyssalah Nebuch is the one that gets preyed on by an outgoing, confident, strong, you know, powerful kind of person who preys upon them a few grades above, usually. The chashivas of a person, a child that feels abyssal nebuchadnezzar to begin with, that this person needs me for their gratification in this way has made me chashiv. It makes me chashiv. And so amongst the shame, embarrassment, fear, disgust, self-disgust, is also a feeling of self-worth and chashivas, and actually, when they really admit it, craving for repetition. I'll talk about repetition later, why and what that's about, and how it happens. But they crave it. They're litting. Now imagine being that kid, full of those feelings, feeling actually a little desire for this thing, hearing your Rebbe or teacher, Daishan, and then say things like, that stuff, that behavior, those posters with non-sneers women on those posters, this is for Goyim, this is for us, that's not our world boys, people interested in that, that's Goyish, there are Shoyim people who do this thing, that's what Rebbeim and teachers say, meaning well, and they do mean well, I'm not saying they shouldn't say it, but when they say it, Try and be in the shoes of a kid who's been abused, listening to this regularly in class in sheer. I'll tell you what the abuse is, Rabbi the real abuse of sexual abuse. The real abuse is how we cut these kids off from our Messiah by, by the abuse. The abuse cuts them off from us. Because they daily hear, you're not one of us anymore. You're damaged goods, you're a Russia, you're a guy. That's what they hear. And they hear reinforced again and again and again. And they can't tell a world word about it to anybody. And we're busy. They didn't really touch. He didn't really put his hand. You know, it's so naive. It's so completely foolish. The introduction of a child against their will, inappropriate introduction into the world of sexuality the way it affects their development, their human, spiritual, and sexual development, their development, that's where the abuse lies. That's where the abuse is. And then with those cases, like I told you, the ones with these young people who get married, and they've never treated it because they were resilient, and they somehow kept going and stayed within the system, and then get married later on, and then the abuse kills them. That's the abuse. The sexual abuse plays itself out there. That's the abuse. Would a good teacher notice it when he's doing this speech? No. No, absolutely not. 
No, uh, uh, one, one second. A good teacher who's learned about sexual abuse and really understands the sukya will start working out how to say the, the drasha a little differently. And in fact, what I've suggested in some places, I mean, this is not the time or place for it, but the good teacher actually can say that, by the way, you see, a good teacher, you see, it's all part of a framework. The kids know about it. We don't. They do. We're fooling ourselves. Kids know. Kids know what goes on. They know. They know this thing happens. They don't know all the details about it, but they know it happens. Uh, a good Rebbe teacher, whoever, will find a way to meet with, from, from puberty and on, with every single kid privately. In the course, how's it going? How's the, how's the learning? Not about this, about everything. And in there, in that conversation, during that course, yeah, discuss this too. And mention this thing happens to people. You probably don't know a thing about it. But it's part of my job. I'm meant to mention it. And there's a way to do it. Agav, nice, easy. Give an opening. It's easy. It works. Not public, not in the class, not a drosha. It works. So there's a way. And when they know about it, they can then make a deal with the kid. Do it. When I say these things, I'm not talking to you. That's not fair. We have a different shprach, you and I. And they can do it. And they've done it. And it's, it's wonderful when they do it. The kids understand for everyone else. You understand? You still have an abuse and the victim before this. Is that the limiting? Or is that, uh, you mentioned that a child is introvert as opposed to an abuse being... No, no, it's definitely not limited. It's not exclusive. Is that what you're asking? It's not. It's not only that. The most common is that. That's the most common. So the abuse, we must shift our minds to let go of acts. So I'm going to come to the types of sexual abuse now, but as Akdama to that, we need to understand this is taken from the literature. This is how it's defined. It's certainly how the authorities are going to define it. So it's important that we have to understand how they define it. But for our purposes, the abuse is so beyond this. It's so beyond this, it's devastating because it nems a, a vet completely from our Messiah and our lives, which is why they go off the derech. They're already off the derech. Internally, they're off the derech years before they have the guts and courage to physically go off. It's why they do drugs later, because when they do, the kids wake up to do drugs. It, 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 they do drugs because when they fall into start, they start drinking first and then they fall into other drugs, they discover they don't hurt so bad. All this pain and anguish about their lives and rage and anger towards our system and what's happened to them and the feelings of alienation, the fury they have towards us. The drugs take away some of that pain. As one kid once said to me, I can stay in yeshiva if I can smoke marijuana, pot, weed. I can't stay if I don't because I'm too angry. I'm too angry. I can't do it. I'm just too angry. To which I was able to say to him, you mean because of the abuse? It's like, it all starts fitting. You're catching a kid doing marijuana almost always means you're catching a kid who's been abused and is full of rage and anger and shame and they're simply self-medicating. That's all that's happening here. This is not an act of rebellion. Give him a drush of a house, inappropriate drugs. On the contrary, the drug discovery is the gateway to start with treatment. I always tell the kids, oh my gosh, you mean you've been abused. 
let's not talk about the drugs, let's talk about you. What happened? And they so appreciate it when we don't get hooked up with a Musa drosha about the drug and instead get to the core of what's really hurting and killing their Nishama inside, which is their feelings about sexuality, which by this time many of them are so orangutan and have repeated, they're really in a messed up place. But that's the core, that's the abuse, that's what we're after. Nevertheless, let's talk about types of sexual abuse. Again, this is what you, what mostly we need to know because it's how the authorities analyze and this is how they describe it. So here's what it is. There are many types of sexual abuse. And by the way, I don't have on this list, I'm sorry, it's just another introduction, is what I call the one-time touch. And the most people don't even begin to grasp this. The one-time touch. A one-time touch can, not will, I want to be very clear, did not say will, but can cause the entire process of sexual abuse. Because remember, if the logic and lambdas of sexual abuse is the introduction of a child to viewing themselves as a sexual being, then taking a child and touching their private parts and making a cheshivas out of their private parts elevates in their mind their private parts to being part of my whole, you know, my whole, what I'm about. So it's done, the job's done, it's finished. They're now in that sugya. So even a one-time touch can do it, can wreck a life. So let's let go of the types of sexual abuse as if we can diminish, no, that's not really sexual abuse. It could be, I'm not saying it will be, but it could be, yes. Okay, we're going to come to the ages... You know, I'll, I'll do all that soon. But you know, let's let's sort of build the sugya, if you don't mind. It differs with boys and girls, and I'll talk about them on. Okay, so let's There are many types of sexual abuse. They include non-consensual. That means against the will, forced physical sexual behavior such as rape or sexual assault. This is the one we all know of most. This is what anyone would think is sexual abuse, where someone forces another person in, uh, through a rape or a sexual act against their will. That's partial. B. Sexual kissing, fondling, exposure of genitalia and voyeurism. Um, touching inappropriately. Sexual kissing. That means that the child who is being kissed is aware this is not a Shalom Aleichem kiss on the cheek, a good Shabbos kiss. They're completely aware something stepped over a boundary. That's what these things are talking about. Fondling. You know, children will tell me that they have memories as little kids being bathed by an older sibling being bathed, and they knew the difference between being washed and being fondled. They knew very well there was a difference. And that difference was something that put them into the sugya, and now they're a sexual being, because they knew they're just not being washed off, they're being fondled. There's, there's a, the, that's the experience. The exposure. I've had countless, this happens particularly with the women, who are... Um, Traumatized by the, the exposure one is rather not so much in our sugya, although it's more with the pedophiles. That's the exposure where an, an adult will sort of expose themselves inappropriately to a young girl will uh, very commonly cause sexual abuse. It causes, again, it puts her in, he's interested in me as a sexual person. That's the logic that puts her into it. Uh, voyeurism. 
Um, the voyeurism in this case is uh, usually things like a child, a small child, takes a shower and discovers that there's an older brother or someone peeking at them constantly in the shower, looking at them, and while they're showering or bathing or using the bathroom or changing, being watched, changing, a brother that will inappropriately, oh, sorry, and just keeps walking into the bedroom, you know, at the wrong time, just at the wrong moment, that's voyeurism, again, than the could have being that the child, it could be a boy or a girl, but it's more commonly a girl, but it could be a boy, is aware they're being looked at sexually. That's the nakuda. The void, yes. Okay, I'm going to come to all that. Absolutely, it's, it's going to be here. Okay, exposure to child pornography. Um, I would say exposure, actually, while they say child pornography, any pornography. Child exposure to, oh, a child, exposing a child to pornography. Good. I don't have my glasses. Exposing a child to pornography. Um, the, the countless case, I'm glad it says that because that's how I feel. So that's probably better. Exposing a child, I've had countless, countless stories of children who found pornographic material on the way to school. And they picked up a magazine, unfortunately, saw it, and ended up completely sexually abused simply by finding a magazine. In that case, the abuser is a magazine on the floor. It doesn't even need to be a person. But what happens is, the lambdas of it is that the child unfortunately looks at the magazine and sees pornography, sexual acts in the pornographic material, and they now connect themselves and their private parts to these acts. In their mind, this is, oh, that's what this is for, that's what this is about, even though they can be horrified and appalled at what they see, but they keep it, look at it, even if they're not self-stimulating. Even if they're not using it to be Mozart, they're not using it for that, but they're just looking at it. Right now, we're simply saying, even the awareness that my private parts are for this act, if it's connected with this, because I look like them, that puts a kid into the sugi of, of, of abuse, and you can have all the full-blown symptoms of sexual abuse happening with them, and everything we see playing out, simply, I've had many cases that went back just to that, nothing more, to the finding of a magazine. When the magazine was found under an older brother's or a father's mattress. When the magazine was found there, is Ben Benoshakalvachoma what it wrecks a kid's life. And oddly enough, it doesn't wreck the kid's life because what they're doing was bad and they hate their father and brother. That's not the lambdas. The lambdas is it makes it even more true that this sugya is a real sugya that I'm going to be part of, or I am part of, because my brother's doing it, my father's doing it, so this must be a sugya. So I belong in that sugya too. It schleps them into it more. It's not their resentment towards their father or brother that kills them. It's the inclusion that I am, this is our family thing. This is where, so I'm too in this. So again, when they go back to school and life, how do they exist? They're in the sugi of sexuality. So even exposure to a picture could do it. We had a case recently in Lakewood, last year actually, a horrendous case where someone borrowed a video machine to, a rented, a video machine. Someone rents them out for people to watch their chasna you know, videos. So they rented a machine, and they had no idea really. They rent lots of them, it came back, and they re-rent them. 
and they re-rented it and gave it, someone had rented one, Nebuch, I mean just Rahmanus, someone whoever took it did not take it for their Hasna videos, they'd watched pornography on it and left a video with pornography on the video machine inside it. The kids turned on the machine, two little children, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, turned on the video, the machine. The fi- they were watching it. The five-year-old started screaming, went, a little girl started screaming so loud, and was, the, the parents weren't even, they were in the backyard, till the mother came in the house. The child was just literally running around the house, screaming her head off. The boy was completely transfixed. It was like in a trance, looking at it. When she found him, he was just standing there staring at it. The little girl was running around screaming in the house both kids traumatized and and will need I mean in that case we knew immediately about it so you can do trauma treatment immediately they may be salvageable it's, it's very possible that we can save their lives and get them the treatment it's not guaranteed at all not at all because you now have memories the imprints there's not even an abuser there's not a person there's just an exposure and yet the trauma is so intense and I know of many people who have told me you know in the privacy of the therapy office when they're going through and breaking down and they're dealing with their sugya that early exposure to pornography not for everyone see the cash is doesn't happen to everyone it, but to some that early exposure puts them into their sugya and they're done they can't live with the stira, and so they drift off and they close down and, and so their lives are wrecked so even exposure here's an incredible one saying sexually suggestive statements towards a child early on in my career I actually wrote a paper once I was going to publish it and I decided it's all premature for that stuff so I never did it was, uh, it, it was about thought molestation thought molestation this is the most darkest one I ever had I had a case a father came to see me about his older daughter who'd gone off the derech she'd gone off the derech the father and mother came to see me about their older daughter who'd gone off the derech and there was a terrible saga she was living in Manhattan she'd, she'd completely fry she was in her mid-twenties she'd gone got some job and she was a guy as far as she was concerned cut off from the family as I heard the story, I was uh, see when it's very powerful. The reaction, the going off, is a total cut off. To- I know there's more to this, and it's almost always only sexual abuse that creates such an incredibly powerful, strong reaction. So we started exploring, and I asked many times, and he and his wife convinced me that it wasn't. But they said they would ask her. The mother had a contact with her. The the. And oddly enough, she accused her father. They came back to see me, both of them, mother and father, appalled, shocked and appalled that this could be the case. Father didn't believe it, was convinced. I looked at him and I actually believed him. The mother was convinced too, she was not covering up for him. She, they, they just couldn't understand where this had come from, what this meant. Anyway, the girl got back in touch with the father, discovered they'd come to see me, and said she's willing for her therapist to talk to me. The case turned out, and we resolved it. It was the most touching case in the end, because in the end of it, because we found out and were able to get to it, we, um, I, did a, uh, uh, I did a session with him. It was the most touching thing imaginable, with this girl came with her therapist to my office with the parents and we did a session he was so broken the father when he realized what he'd done he literally fell off the couch crying 
he was so appalled at himself when he realized what he'd done by accident and she was able to meichel him. It was incredible, incredible. The story had been as follows. He was, he grew up with no, he was an only child. He was an only child of a very early in age Balshuva. That does not in any mean to imply that anyone, you know, please don't, for all oh, well, you know, the police, that's just a Matthias. And had no siblings, and become from, and he was a very fine Elcha from man, lived his life, but had no Shaykhus to girls. When this oldest daughter of his hit puberty, he had many times complimented her on her development, not knowing that's a no no. You don't do that. He had no clue that you don't do that. You don't compliment your daughter on her development when she has puberty. Yeah, leave the subject alone. Leave it to her mother. You know, you don't, you don't do that. But he did do that. And he did it often. Thinking he was being nice. She was 100% convinced that he was sexually interested in her because this poor girl going through puberty you know that's where her mind was during those years as she was developing so she transferred her experience of puberty you know becoming a woman onto these statements he was making of complimenting her shape and her form as she developed and she was completely traumatized when off the deck became fry and gunsome with a vicious anger that my father's a monster, a sexual abuser, and in her therapy, that was played out. Her therapist, a, a guy, had no clue, really, and missed it completely, the innocence of what had happened. With, and, and was actually supporting it, you know, which is unfortunately what sometimes happens with therapists, you know, you don't, it's unfortunate. But when we did the reconciliation, I convinced the therapist it wasn't the case. And she trusted me on it, the therapist. And when we did the reconciliation, the father was able to understand the inappropriateness of what he had done with this girl and how she had felt and the transference of feelings that had occurred that had wrecked her life, put her off the derech, and so started a healing in this family. Thought molestation, meaning where the child believes that someone else has an inappropriate sexual interest in them. I have countless cases like this. Girls growing up being have been looked at by inappropriately stared at and feeling molested by that experience. 